The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode 16, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist, and as always, I am joined by the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Kyle Posey. Kyle, happy holidays, man. How you doing? Doing well, man. Happy holidays to you, too. We have a couple more weeks of this bad boy, man. The season's flown by. Yeah, it absolutely has. And and again, gentle listener, we thank you for joining us on this journey here on the on the podcast, you know, not only today, but throughout the season. And if you are in a giving mood this time of year and you want to give me and Kyle a present, I will take cold hard cash or you can head over to the Apple podcast app, leave a five star rating and review. Let them know that Michael Kist and Kyle Posey sent you. We would really appreciate it. And we'll do our best to earn that five-star rating today as we dig into NFL action from Week 15, which includes our top three quarterback performances of the week. We'll also talk about a pretty ugly performance from a franchise quarterback. There is, of course, Kyle's three defensive MVPs of the week from each level of defense. And we've got a special guest today. He is Jeff Hartman from Behind the Steel Curtain. And he is going to be talking about Kevin Green, who unfortunately passed away at the age of 58 uh, this week. He really fits into our football guy guys theme here. And I feel like he didn't quite get his due with everything going on with the Steelers right now, which we are going to talk about. So we did spend some time talking about Green specifically and what he brought to the field. But now that the table is set, let's feast on our top three quarterback performances of the week 15 action. And Kyle, you know, I put a lot of stock into pressure rates when it comes to breaking up these, these stacks and ranking these guys. And Justin Herbert, was pressured on over 50% of his dropbacks against the Raiders on Thursday night football last week in that zany 30-27 to win in overtime that they nearly blew in typical Chargers fashion, but they get the job done this time somehow against all odds. Uh, I also tend to favor quarterbacks that push the ball down the field, and Herbert was tops in the league for Week 15 in intended air yard average. His average throw traveled about 11 yards in the air it's it's really unbelievable that the guy he only threw one pass in the fourth quarter as you're trying to go win a football game just another mark against head coach Anthony Lynn who has been heavily criticized just about everywhere including on this show Uh, Herbert was balling he still had over 300 yards despite that while throwing for two touchdowns I really did though I, I like the Chargers catching the Raiders in a quarter-quarter half coverage on the 53-yard toss to Guyton in overtime. It's a great uh, quarters beating concept, pairing the deep out 
with the post. The safety has to respect the vertical release from the deep out. That leaves the poor corner on an island with outside leverage trying to run with the post. He's got no shot in that situation. And Herbert is is really excellent throwing against leverage, delivered there to set them up for the eventual game winner. They got there. They almost fumbled it away, but they did get there. Uh, but still, only again, only one pass in the fourth. Sometimes you just get the feeling that Lynn doesn't know what he has with this dude and that this dude could save his job if he put a little more faith in him. But alas, here we are. And in the Christmas spirit, Kyle, let's pair Herbert with a head coach that could maximize his talents. And first off, I'm going to qualify that Eric Bieniemy is the correct answer to all of these for any quarterback for any team. But we're going to try to mix it up. If you were to pair an eventual head coach with Herbert, who are you looking at if you're the Chargers to maximize Herbert? So I think just a couple seconds ago when you said Anthony Lynn didn't know, you could have just stopped right there and you would have been good to go. But I'm I'm going yeah. Brian Dayball just because what we've seen with Josh Allen this year, he finally has a number one receiver, but he's not. He's being asked to play to his strengths, and most quarterbacks for as weird as that might sound, they're not being asked to do that. I think Lamar Jackson's a prime example. So when you watch Josh Allen, when you watch what he's asked to do, he is able to throw the ball down the field. He's He also has checkdowns. He also has screen passes to throw. He also has the easy layup throws, slants and whatnot. So to see Justin Herbert be able to do that would be just night and day from what he's being asked to do today because or this year because it just seems like he's having to kind of bail out the Chargers time and time again. Um, his talent is obvious. His talent is almost palpable just because his catches, his, his passes catch you, man. He, he's unreal when it comes <laughs> to his arm strength. So I feel like once we have a better idea of what he can just do as a quarterback, and, and people already know he's really, really good, but I think just having a guy like Dayball would just be take his level, take his career to just another level. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And there are a lot of different elements to that as to why I like that. I told you before the show, like, Dable's my guy. And you're like, Dable's my guy. So uh, I, I let you have it here. But I, I, would, I do want to kind of like just like make the case for it. Like right right now, Josh Allen is top five in play action frequency, right? So give me all of the downfield play action shots with Justin Herbert. Really let him shine in that area. Make life easy on him. I also think that, that Dable did a fantastic job, not only last year, too, getting the most out of Allen as a quick game passer, but this year as well. They like to spread it out. They like to go five wide. They make the reads real simple for him. He picks a side. He, he throws it there. So they, they would really be able to get the most out of out of Herbert in that way, too. So I really think what he's done with Allen there has been nothing short of spectacular. We're going to talk about him a little bit more in a second, but let's get to my number two quarterback performance of week 15. Uh, Baker Mayfield, man, against the Giants, uh, who have seen some improved play from their defense lately. Baker was just lights out, like damn near perfect. 27 of 32, 297 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. The, the two highest differences in yards per attempt when using play action versus non-play action this year, it's Ryan Tannehill and Baker Mayfield. Baker's yards per attempt is over three yards higher when they utilize a run fake. Ryan Tannehill currently leads all ingrained starters with the highest play action rate. Baker is fifth, so like really, really high. Kevin Stefanski, as our friend Seth Galina over at PFF pointed out this week, uh, has made this offense pretty idiot-proof. And I'm not calling Baker an idiot, but that's just kind of like kind of what he's doing. They don't ask him to be a straight-up drop-back passer on first down. In fact, he's only got straight straight dropbacks about 20 times a game. That's super low. When he is doing that, he's throwing a bunch of go routes because defenses are rolling a safety down into the box and it gives them one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. So there's not a lot of thinking going into that. 
And with their play action designs, there's not a whole lot of thinking overall that has to take place in this offense for Baker, which is great. And that's me not trying to, I'm not trying to knock Baker necessarily because bless him, he is getting the job done and he is executing what he is asked to execute. But it is very much so a compliment of Kevin Stefanski and the offense that he's designed that is also missing Odell Beckham Jr., by the way. He is maximizing every ounce of Baker's talent and Baker is delivering on that talent. Kyle, we have seen average quarterbacks like Jared Goff and, excuse me, Jimmy Garoppolo thrive in very similar systems and go to a Super Bowl. Are we sleeping on the Browns' ability to go blow for blow with a team like the Chiefs with that ready-made offense featuring a quarterback playing at a high level in an offense that makes things simple for him? Yeah, it's going to be tough because we we have seen the Browns play well. We have seen the Browns execute. And we have seen Stefanski. Honestly, like it, calling this offense idiot-proof is the the great, the best description I could imagine because it looks so easy. It looks like a Shanahan-type offense, a McVay-type offense where guys are just running free at the second level. Uh, these windows, these throwing windows are so wide open. It's tough for me to commit to that just because we know what we've seen. We, we know what we've seen from Mayfield when he's under pressure. We know how he looks against the Ravens, how he looks against the Steelers, how he looks against the better upper echelon type of defenses. So knowing that he's going to probably force the ball a little bit, knowing that he has to keep up with Mahomes, I just don't see him playing that side, sort of clean type of game that we saw. And even in just this last primetime game, he still made a mistake. So those mistakes aren't going anywhere. I, I, I do think, though, they're a really interesting matchup for the Chiefs. The Chiefs, obviously, their strength is not their defense. And if, and if the Browns can just score enough to stay in it, not go down two scores, not have to eliminate that play action facet of their game, I, I think they're built really well that offensive line is certainly built well and that's a big reason why they can do what they do is because they have a, a mauling offensive line that are that are great in pass protection they keep baker clean so yeah we could say you know baker sucks under pressure all day right they kind of pointed that out on the broadcast chris collinsworth did but at the same time if you can't get to him it does not matter so I, i'm actually really looking forward to to what the playoffs show with the browns and how they're able to continue to exercise the demons uh, of uh, past head coaches and uh, and uh, failures there. Let, let's get to our number three quarterback performance of Week 15 action. Uh, look, I didn't even know that Saturday football had started when it did, but as soon as I tuned in, I saw Josh Allen just absolutely frying the Denver Broncos with some ridiculous throws. Allen threw for 359 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He had the second highest intended air yard average on the week. Remember, I weigh that heavily. Uh, I do just turn. He, he's a cyborg. Uh, he's insane. He, he's made this list a bunch of times uh, this year, and I did the whole apology tour, so I'm not going to stick on this one for too long. But I will say that I went through a review process with the Yeet of the Week, which usually drops on Monday, Football Monday, is awarded then. And I decided that there are two throws that he had that are going to take away the award here. The first one is the 55-yard bomb along the right sideline to Stephon Diggs, who really didn't have to do anything but just like slightly put his hands out while he was in stride. It just dropped right in the laundry chute there. Also, the one he tossed after being tripped and still somehow getting it to Stephon Diggs to convert on third and two is just amazing stuff. Guy has a crazy arm strength can throw it from any platform. This total outlier of a third-year breakout continues to confound me, but I'm just going to stop asking questions about it because the guy obviously put in the work to be great, and the Bills, as we have mentioned, have done a tremendous, tremendous job developing him. And by the way, Josh Allen doesn't turn 25 until May. So let's let's do a little exercise here. I'm going to put you on the spot, Kyle. Justin Herbert is 22. Lamar Jackson is 23. 
Kyler Murray is 23. And then Josh Allen is 24 years old. Keeping it with those four under 25, uh, under 25 quarterbacks. If you are starting a franchise, can you order those four quarterbacks for me and piss everyone off possible while you do it? <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt that I imagine my answer is not going to align with a lot of people's answer. But with that said, I'm, I imagine this questioning is I have the same supporting cast. I have the same play caller for all of these guys. And yeah, I'm probably in a weird way. I don't. Oh, man. Because Herbert and Kyler, to me, are really, really good. But they also have a lot to work on. That's mm. not a slight at all because they're really young and they play, they've play. flashed the superstar ability. But I just want to see more consistency from them. So I would put them in a separate tier below the, the other two. I'm going to go Lamar second and I'm going to go Josh Allen first because I know what Josh Allen can do this year, seeing him with a wide receiver one, seeing him with a fantastic play caller. There's still a bit of a roller coaster, sure, but man, he is an MVP type of player and he can bail you out. And Lamar is amazing. We saw MVP last year. Um, I just yeah. want to see more consistency from him. I, I see him miss the same throws that we give Josh Allen, you know, flack for. So I'm yeah. not sure why that's the case. If I'm just going based off of, and obviously, I'm, I'm probably not giving Lamar enough credit for what he did in 2019 and probably for what he did in 2020. But just yeah. based off for everything that we've seen from Josh Allen this year, being in command, I, I have to put him first. I'll probably say Allen, Lamar, and then I'll go Kyler Herbert as like a coin flip. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the same way that I had it. I'm surprised there. I was hoping we disagreed a little bit more because I have Josh Allen at number one. And I, and I agree with you as far as like Lamar goes. We, we're probably not giving him enough credit. We have talked about... The lack of weapons there, teams kind of figuring out the uh, offense there, how to play defense against them, as we talked about with Mike Renner on, on one of these shows previously in the year. So I'm going to go Allen number one. Then I'm going to go Lamar because I still think he's super, super special. But you're right. There is some consistency issues there. Uh, throwing against man coverage accurately has been an issue for him this year as defenses play more man coverage against him. And then I would go three Herbert and then four Murray. I think I think it's because I think Herbert is playing just as well, if not better than Murray this year. This is Murray's second year. I think Murray is just kind of like an average quarterback, but that does have top 10 type of potential. He's obviously very exciting, but some accuracy issues, some decision-making issues and whatnot kind of hold him back in that regard. So, okay, now... We, we went through some really good quarterbacks, and we're about to uh, bring up a real stinker because Pittsburgh Steelers, come on down. You are the next contestant on Do You Have a Quarterback? And, man, Kyle, a lot of people in the media thought that the Steelers' 11-0 record was a mirage. We talked about it with Jeff Hartman of Behind the Steel Curtain a couple weeks ago regarding the concern with how the offense had been declining recently, why that was. And we will talk with, with Jeff here in a little bit about the unfortunate passing of, uh, of Kevin Green again, but... Keeping it with Big Ben here for a moment, the guy just looks beat up and done. And, and and I tweeted this out during the game, quote, Big Ben moves and throws like I imagine Frosty the Snowman would if he wasn't murdered by the sun, end quote. <laughs> and, and this is, it's not a, an out of nowhere thing. He is consistently in the lower portion of the weekly average air yard rankings. They've been running a quick game offense all year to mask his limitations. The ball's been coming out super quick. He's had one of the worst deep balls in the league from a guy not named Drew Locke or Joe Burrow. Defenses are starting to creep up on him and force him to throw 10-plus yards. He simply cannot do it. And you saw it in the Bengals game with a great example 
being that shallow crosser from Juju being cut by the safety Von Bell, which resulted in a big smack. And shout out to Bell, by the way. I have zero issue with Juju dancing on logos before the game, right? Young man, do your thing. Go have fun. Love it. But I love that Bell said, well, man, if that's what he's going to do, you got to hit the guy. You got to let him know. And he delivered on that promise. That's just that's just good football. That's good entertainment right there. But I digress. Kyle, the Steelers are now on a three-game losing streak with L's to the football team, the Bills, and now the Bengals. They haven't scored 20 or more points since November 22nd against the Jaguars. This team is in deep trouble. But, but like, how do you save it for them? Is it Mason Rudolph? Because Kyle, Colts, Browns, next. Are they screwed? Because it feels like they're screwed, and there's a serious chance they could still actually lose the AFC North to the Browns in the last week of the season. That would be amazing just based on the way the season started, but that wouldn't be a surprise, I feel like. So the last throw of the game where Big Ben had overthrew a 10-yard in route when he tried to put all, like it took him everything he had to throw that pass, and he still sailed it by like 10 yards. I feel like that tells you all you need to know when we're talking about accuracy and arm strength because it's just not there for Ben. And when that's the that's the case, defenses are man. You just you saw what the Bengals did. They were aggressive. Yep. They were playing fast. They knew that they can make plays. That's because they knew that Big Ben wasn't going to challenge them. He is not a threat by any stretch of the imagination right now. And I think, um, man, no team really does this. But I'd be positioning to try to play the Steelers if I was a playoff team because they're. I mean, their offense just can't do anything, and that's because Big Ben. And they have a talented group of wide receivers that can still make plays. Like, sure. you know, Chase Claypool make, makes a play on a, on a one-hander. Maybe the game looks a little bit different. Deontay Johnson is, is speedy and quick. James, James Washington came up with a big play for him. But at the same time, man, like I was telling you before the show, like if I had to do a power ranking right now, I don't know if the Steelers would be in the top 15. Like if you take away – that that eleven and zero start because they're they're a different team than what they were and they've been trending this way. What they look like right now and how you can project them moving forward, I don't know how you can see this team as a serious playoff contender. So I think the team that gets them in the playoffs, to Kyle, your point, uh, really is is lucking up. Uh, Kyle, let's get out of here. And when we come back on the other side of the palpably unfair podcast, we're going to talk about your three defensive MVPs of the week, one from each level of the defense and then we're going to get to our interview with jeff hartman talking about a real football guy guy kevin green that's coming up next here on the palpably unfair podcast support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team now more than ever educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 
Shopify.com. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair podcast, episode 16, the SB Nation NFL show, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. So we talked about our top three quarterback performances of week 15 action. We talked about a serious dud that is concerning for a playoff team. Let's get into Kyle's three defensive MVPs from week 15. We take one from each level of defense. And as always, we are going to start in the trenches because that's where games are won and lost, or at least so I'm told. Kyle, we usually avoid putting this guy on the list because every week you feel like you could put him on there because he's so dominant. Who is it? And what about his game stood out this week? Yeah, we've gone out of the way to not put Aaron Donald on this list because Aaron Donald looks like Aaron Donald every week. And in this situation, Aaron Donald faced the Jets, and you can only imagine how that went. He he was honestly in the backfield. It felt like on every drive, on every series, he made a play. He beat his man. He was chasing uh, Sam Darnold around. I I believe he finished with a total of 10 pressures on the day, which is very good for most players, but it's just another day at the office for Aaron Donald. So I (laughs) I don't feel like we need to waste too much time on Aaron Donald being Aaron Donald. But at the same time, he's such a superstar that we're so normalized to him being a superstar. And that's not fair to Aaron Donald. So we need to at least talk about him, his greatness. Yeah, and I can't believe that during the offseason, one of the big arguments on Twitter between analytics and film people <laughs> was that Aaron Donald's an average run defender and whatnot. Like, come on, man. Like, let's let's not get crazy and uh, uh, with our own analytics and let it muddy what we're, what we're seeing because that's just an absolute joke. All right, let's get into uh, the second level. This is a guy... From the Bucks, And they've had a couple of guys on here rotating back and forth. Which one did you like this week? Almost going back to that, I almost left off Aaron Donald because defensive tackle wins and the Rams lost since we're talking <laughs> analytics. Um, I'm going Devin White. Devin White didn't make the Pro Bowl and he didn't make it over 49ers linebacker Fred Warner. And instantly, Bucks Twitter was not happy. They threw out all types of volume stats you could imagine. And you guessed it, linebacker wins as well. Uh, oh no! As, yes, it was. It was that, and that was a reason that they thought Devin White should make the uh, the Pro Bowl. So White is on his way to start him, and I feel pretty strongly about that. He deserves all the love in the world, and I imagine a lot of the recency bias was based on how he played Sunday. So in the first quarter, White had a series where he broke up a pass, he jumped it out route, and on the very next play, he tracks the center or he beats the center, makes him almost fall, which is pretty hilarious. Tracks the running back down for a loss of four. And on the very next play, he tracks down an out route by running back, makes his tackle for a minimal gain. And then he just waves off the Falcons like, I'm done with you guys. I'm tired of you guys. Like when I saw that, I was like, oh, he's he's the linebacker of the week. But it was <laughs> all game. Like he played like a man possessed. It was really fun to watch Devin White play. There was another play to begin the second quarter where he just did a good job of recognizing the running back wasn't running a route. So he hopped into the throwing lane, broke up a pass against Matt Ryan. Those are the plays that I imagine White would like to make more of, just the consistent mental plays where he's not just flashing his out-of-this-world athleticism. He had success rushing the passer, but he's never had success like he did on Sunday. Like earlier in the season, he had a sack where it came off a coffeehouse stunt. So he's essentially Mm. just fooling the offensive line. That was a lot of trick. There was a lot of trickeration from White again against the Falcons. It was pretty impressive. So his first sack... Gurley was at running back, so he checks. Gurley checks to see if White is blitzing. White was not blitzing, so Gurley Gurley went to chip the edge rusher and then go out for a route. And as soon as Gurley went for the chip, 
White hit the turbo button, race in the backfield, sacked Matt Ryan. On the second sack, it was a lot of the same, where he was kind of playing cat and mouse with a running back, and he got into the backfield, and he he sacked Matt Ryan. And on, on the third sack, he was just in the right place at the right time. But on the day, White finished with eight stops, two pass breakups, and he should just get credit for some of that heady play because you really don't see linebackers play on that type of level. So it was good to see White play. You know, you mentioned Pro Bowl and and, and snubs and whatnot, and I, I, I never get upset about Pro Bowl snubs. I just don't like if an Eagles guy is left off, whatever. I don't care. I think one year I was upset that, like, Jason Kelsey wasn't on there, but, like, he was also playing, like, the best center in the league. You know, maybe maybe you write an article about it for some clicks and whatnot, but, like, I think this year I'm upset that Andrews Pete from the Saints is in. Like, he is the worst lineman on that team. I think Saints fans know that, yes. and they're actually, like, really upset with Pete. And I don't get how they're also voting for him for the Pro Bowl. And then you look at, at, at the other conference and, like, Wyatt Teller doesn't get in when he's playing, like, the best guard in the NFL. Maybe because he doesn't have the name recognition. I know he missed a few games. But, like, man, for Pete to get in and Teller not to get in. It was it was a big L for football guy guys. So I'll, I'll I'll put it to you that way. So all right, let's get to the third level of the defense. This dude had a super productive day coming out of the NFC West. Who you got? Yeah, DJ Reed from the Seahawks was great and he played like a football guy guy. He played like a man possessed. <laughs> he played like a guy that was playing for his job. Honestly, Reed's performance was the best effort that I've seen from a cornerback from wire to wire all season. And it was really impressive. So he's doing most of this against Terry McLaurin, who is probably one of the 10 best wide receivers in the NFL. And I, I feel yeah. like not a lot of people know that. So that's why we should qualify that. So Reed's stat line looks great. He allowed four receptions on 10 targets for a measly 15 yards. One of those catches actually was 20, 10 yards. So he is shutting – he shut Washington's pass game down. He had two pass breakups, and he had an intercession where he read Dwayne Strip Club's eyes – if you watch where Reed came from on a few of those tackles, you'd be blown away. So he's running from like the bottom of the numbers to inside the hash where I mentioned it, you would have thought it was a playoff game or a Super Bowl because you just really don't see cornerbacks try that hard as, as you know, bad as that sounds. They just don't have that yeah. kind of effort. So it was nice. And I just like how Reed made plays just both in man coverage and against zone against McLaren. He was a pain. And that's probably the best compliment you can give a cornerback. He was just a nuisance. He would annoy him all game. And Reed did all the coaching points that you want to see, you know, play to their hands, take their hands away, get to their hands. So he was great, man. And I don't – I just – again, I, I really haven't seen a guy play that hard and just be that big of a nuisance for the an entire game. So Reed is hands down the best DB of the, the, the week for me. So he had a football guy, guy week, and we got a football guy, guy career essentially. So let's get to our interview uh, as I've been uh, teasing all show here. Let's get to the interview with Jeff Hartman uh, behind the steel curtain. We are going to talk about the unfortunate passing of Kevin Green and uh, remember him by talking about – how great he was on the freaking football field, man. Let's get to that right now. Jeff, thank you for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show. I do wish it was uh, for a different reason because we unfortunately found out earlier this week that Hall of Fame pass rusher Kevin Green passed away at the age of 58. Green spent most of his time with the Rams, but I most fondly remember his time with the Steelers and Blitzburg in the 90s. Uh, in fact, you could say the same was true of Green as he decided to get his Hall of Fame ring from the Steelers despite only playing there three of his 15 years as a pro. Uh, Jeff, how the Steelers community take this news? It, it was weird. I, I felt really bad 
for the Green family and and for the news itself because it happened just hours before the Steelers played the Bengals on Monday Night Football, and so it hit hard. And for those fans that were alive to remember Green when he played in Pittsburgh, um, that you know mainly that '94 season where he had 14 sacks that year. I mean, he was he was a monster on that team in that quiver and quake defense with Greg Lloyd and, and Kevin Green. I mean, they, they were uh, they were so much fun to watch, and that was my childhood. The, the loss to this, obviously, on, on Monday Night Football has kind of diminished it. But, you know, I'm writing an article that's going to run uh, it's going to run on Wednesday for the for the website behind the steel curtain dot com. That's kind of like my ode to Kevin Green. He was a big part of my childhood. I still remember playing backyard football and, you know, the 10 Mississippi rush. And if you got to that, you got to that quarterback, you got up and you did the, the Kevin Green fist pump like he used to always do and get the fans all jacked up. I loved Kevin Green. He He was. He was more than a player. He was like he was almost superhuman. He had the blonde hair flowing out of the helmet, always getting jacked up. He was a super polite guy. Came from a military family. It, it was great. It, people don't realize he only played in Pittsburgh for three years. Yeah. Everyone thinks he was like this lifelong stealer. No, he was like a journeyman basically. Just had a short stop in Pittsburgh and just played. Boy, he played great when he was there. Yeah, it's wild because it's like as far as Kevin Green, the player, like. How do, how do you remember him on field? Because I, I know I, I have the same vision as you do, right? The the long blonde locks flowing as he comes screaming off the edge like an animal. But like, what can you say about the guy's on field performance that made him so loved and led to him being third in uh, all time sacks in the NFL, which is wild. Yeah, he was relentless. Like that. That's one word to really describe Kevin Green. Like he, when he rushed the passer, he never quit. And if you watch some highlight films of him. He, it wasn't always just that Lawrence Taylor, pure pass rushing, get around the edge, the bend, the crazy bend, and then you sack the quarterback. His was, he's going to battle the tackle. He's going to push him back into the quarterback, get his arm on him, take him down. He was relentless, and he was such a hard worker. You could definitely see that in his game. And uh, when I think about Kevin Green on the field, he was a different breed. You know, the, the, you think about defenses now, pass rushers are asked to do so much. His job was to just rush the quarterback. And he, you look at his stats compared to like the quiver and quake, Greg Lloyd, like Greg Lloyd was more of an all around player. He would drop back into coverage. He would, he was more of a uh, sideline to sideline athlete. Kevin Green was a one trick pony, so to speak, as Mike Tomlin would say, he was to get after the quarterback and make the plays by sacking the quarterback. And, and, and he did it. Yeah. I have 160 sacks speaks for itself, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree, man. And I, when I, when I was growing up, you know, my best friend was a Steelers fan. So I got a ton of exposure to the the Steelers defense and watching them, and it was a and it was a blast. And talking about him as a pass rusher, he said, uh, "quote I figured out how to pass rush. I figured out how to put a guy, an offensive tackle, three or four inches taller, eighty pounds heavier, put him in a position of failure. I did that." End quote. And he did time and time and time again. He was a two time All Pro, five time Pro Bowl selection. Just have a had a fantastic career. Jeff, was there? This might be an oddball question. Uh, was there any hard feelings in Pittsburgh over Green being the Packers linebacker coach Ugh. the year that this, the Packers beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl, or or was it like two old friends meeting up at like a high school reunion? It hurt. Let's just put it that way. It hurt <laughs> because Kevin Green was so close. I mean, nineteen ninety four, he had that tremendous year. They make it to the AFC Championship game. They lose to Stan Humphreys in the in the San Diego Chargers yep. at Three River Stadium. I still have nightmares about that game as a young adolescent boy. 1995, they get to Super Bowl 30. If it weren't for Neil O'Donnell crapping the bed on more than one occasion, they beat the Cowboys. And so Kevin Green left after that. And there's these stories of him staying on the field after Super Bowl 30. And, and he just said, I, 
he knew it was done in Pittsburgh. Yeah. He knew he was going to be going elsewhere and he wanted to take it in. And for him to get the ring in green Bay against the Steelers was just kind of like a, a, a dagger into the heart of Steeler nation. And then you watch the video that was kind of circulating on social media where he's talking to Clay Matthews uh, right before he caused the fumble on Richard Mendenhall in the third quarter. And that was the turning point of that game. And I'm like, Oh, Kevin, do you have to say that now? Come on. Like, come on, man. Like that was the turning point of the game. Like, uh, I felt great. Hey, good for him because he's a great guy. Everyone loves Kevin Green. I, you don't hear anyone tell a bad story about Kevin Green among Steeler fans. You just won't. You've heard other players like they're jerks in, in public that that was never the case with Kevin Green. But no, I, I don't think there was that much hard. I, that wasn't hard feelings. I mean, he, he had an opportunity and he won a ring. So good for him. <laughs> My buddy will still tell you that Neil O'Donnell and Richard Mendenhall were on the take. He's still that upset about it. <laughs> I believe Neil O'Donnell. Jerry Jones paid him off. There's no way you do that twice in a game. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. So, Jeff, <laughs> thank you for stopping by, man. Uh, let the listeners know where they can find you, all your work, where to look for that uh, Kevin Green piece that will be coming out uh, today, all that good stuff. Yeah, that will be out uh, like around 1230 uh, com. Check it out. A letter from the editor. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at J Hartman underscore PIT. And as always, make sure you check us out on our podcast platform, wherever you get your podcast search Steelers or behind the steel curtain, subscribe and follow. We appreciate it. And we're back here on the palpably unfair podcast. Thank you for Jeff Hartman for stepping by. Make sure that you check out behind the steel curtain. They're doing great stuff over there on their, on their podcast network. And uh, I really appreciate Jeff's uh, time as always. Kyle, I got, I got one more Football guy guy for you, because this is a guy that, that I've really liked throughout the years. And we'll go with a, a defensive back here. I'm going to go with Packers safety, Adrian Amos. And the guy's just been like solid for, for freaking years, man. So I actually wanted to bring up a, a conversation that was had on Twitter between my, my co-host on the Kiss and Select show over at Bleeding Green Nation and Greg Gabriel, who is a former scout <laughs> for the... Chicago Bears and known Twitter belligerent antagonist uh, whatnot. It, it was a, this this conversation on Twitter happened on March twenty third, two thousand nineteen, and I guess Solak and Gabriel were going back and forth between the value of Haha Clinton Dix and Adrian Amos. And, and I got to tell you, I think Gabriel was being a big old homer on this one, and and a little bit hurt that that Amos was leaving for greener pastures. He says at Benjamin Solak, write this down. Amos getting $9 million a year will go down as one of the big mistakes in free agency this year. The right money was 3.5, which the Bears gave to HaHa. Benjamin Solak then responded by sending him a picture of him actually writing down exactly what Greg told him to write, which was a funny bit. But you look at the way that take is uh, aged. I don't even know where HaHa is right now because he was... Cut in camp because uh, what was it? it? It was Dallas, and Dallas thought that former Giant Darian Thompson had outplayed him in camp to the point where they could just get rid of him. So Haha has bounced around the league while Adrian Amos has continued to stay to say steady. And I and I found it was funny the first week uh, of that season in 2019 was Adrian Amos picking off Mitch Trubisky to end that game uh, for the Packers against the Bears. So. Just a, a trip down memory lane for my uh, old co-host there at Bleeding Green Nation. But uh, Kyle, any thoughts on that or any last words for the gentle listeners as we uh, start to kick it towards uh, Christmas? Just because they're on Twitter and have a blue check mark instead they work in the <laughs> NFL does not mean that they know what they are talking about. Haha, Clinton Dix is not on an NFL team. Adrian Amos oh. 
is and has been one of the better safeties in the NFL. This is not that difficult. Amos was clearly, clearly the better player and remained so. All right. So a little bit of light dragging here. Kyle, Kyle had brought up the idea of like, we should talk about the worst Twitter accounts and, and follows and so on and so forth. And I and Kyle is always trying to get me into trouble. And <laughs> I feel like that's the only reason he does this. So we're going to skip past that. We're going to get the heck on out of here and we're going to get to our holidays. We're going to continue here at the SB Nation NFL show with our regularly scheduled programming. You're going to get the look ahead on Thursday. And then I have uh, entered the fray. Uh, football cheat sheet for the Friday show. So you're going to hear that with me, Gina Kelly, and Kate Majuk, uh, who is a great addition to that show as well. So keep it here with the SB Nation NFL show as we get through the week and uh, provide you with some holiday content. We thank you for joining us. And remember, go dominate and have yourselves a day. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.